The Right Time with Bomani Jones is presented by YouTube TV. Try free today at youtube.com slash NBA23. New users only. Terms apply. Cancel anytime. Before we get started with today's show, let me tell you about another great ESPN podcast, the Dominique Foxworth Show. ESPN and Anscape contributor Dominique Foxworth's podcast is every Tuesday and Thursday, bringing his unique perspectives on football, the personalities surrounding it, and just about anything else he finds interesting or thinks you might. So check out the Dominique Foxworth Show. Listen where you are listening to this podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Right Time. My name is Bomani Jones. Thanks for listening wherever you get your podcast. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. Coming up on this episode of The Right Time, I tell you about one of those things I told you was going to happen but couldn't tell you about, but now I can tell you more. Also, we have got your voicemails about that time you tried your pops. Happy Father's Day, but first... All right, the Suns made the move. Went ahead, got Bradley Beal um, for nothing, basically. Uh, they got him for what's left of Chris Paul, Landry Shamit, and something I don't recall ever seeing as part of a trade package this significant, several second-round picks because Phoenix doesn't have any first-round picks. So they just have to give up all the second-round picks to get Beal to come to Phoenix. And now Phoenix has like maybe the most top-heavy roster you will ever have seen in the history of the NBA because of the way that the new CBA is going to work. You can't just get those old guys who come in, you know, get get, get, get them on the old guy exception, mid-level exception, all this stuff. Once you go up over a certain level in this salary, the new CBA makes it very, very difficult for you to add pieces above the minimum. Um, Brian Windhorst wrote a very interesting story about this. And it's interesting as it ties to the CBA because the CBA has always been set up really like the last 15 years or so. We're trying to find ways such that people can't spend money so that the mid-market teams don't feel all left out. And then there's always some rich dude that's like, you ain't about to stop me from spending my money. And that dude is the Ishbia guy who owns the Suns now. And I mean, I have to admit, he got big clown points from me from the thing he did with Jokic down there, right? That holding the ball and everything else, right? The herb was just the, the whack juice, dripping with it. Can't get it off, you know? Like it was all there under those circumstances. But you know me, man. I'm all about an owner that's out here to spend his money. I'm here for it. Now, the question to me with Phoenix about how this trade works, it isn't how this team is configured right now. Because the way the team is configured right now, I don't care what anybody says, I don't think this team can win. I think that they can put up a lot of points, right? With Beal, Durant, and and Booker, I think they'll be able to put up a lot of points. I don't know who they're going to guard, and I think they have significant depth issues if they make the decision to do that. The question for me is, can you find somebody to take DeAndre Ayton off your hands? Because if you can do that, then maybe you can turn this into a team that's got some depth. You can turn this into what I would consider to be a legitimate contender. But even with those three guys they have, plus Aiton, is this team better than Denver? Probably not. The next question that you have here um, is really about Beal with health. Because Beal played 50-something games last season. I want to say that's what the number was. 
at some point, we're going to have to kind of ask ourselves, as much as we say that the regular season doesn't matter, the regular season does matter. Now, you could try to make the argument that the results of the regular season don't really matter like that. But I'm not going to come out here and say that the regular season itself doesn't matter. And the reason I'm not going to say that is you're going to have a hard time making me believe that the rhythm that you get from playing in the course of the regular season doesn't matter when you get to the end. We came into this postseason and one of the things that we kept saying about Denver and Sacramento and reasons to be skeptical of them was, well, their guys were healthy all all season, so maybe they're not as good as their record was. Now, Bill Parcells, of course, will flip over backwards if somebody says like that, as he is the man who says you are what your record says you are, and there's something to that. But you think the fact that the Nuggets had those guys and they could get those reps didn't matter when it came down to the end? Um, With Sacramento, you think those guys didn't get better as the season went because they were able to play those games with each other? Now, you get some, of course, interesting exceptions when it comes to that. The Lakers kind of put that team together on the fly. They didn't have LeBron at that point, but they had those other guys for much of the late season. They had those dudes to get it together. Brad Beal has not played more than 60 games in four years. Kevin Durant, if you're lucky, is going to give you 55 or 60 games. Devin Booker's a younger dude with them, so I don't think you have the same set of issues with them. And DeAndre Ayton, I mean, if we're being honest, you never know when he's going to wake up and decide he don't want to play today. So I look at the moves they made. I look at the team they put together. And I think the question about this move that the Suns are making, to me, is less about whether it makes them a legitimate championship contender. I guess you could make the argument that it does. It makes them one of the better teams in the West. Now, whether that means they'll actually contend for a championship, I guess the whole point of everything the NBA has done over these years is made it such that if you're good, you are a contender. See the Miami Heat, right? Like maybe that's the way that the game is now, and maybe that's the way that they ultimately want to play it. But part of what I think is interesting about looking at what the Suns have done They will be interesting. And the more and more I look at it with basketball teams, I guess specifically basketball teams, but just overall in sports, you can't promise nobody a championship, but you can be interesting. You can create a team that gives people one reason or another to be invested in what the team provides. And that investment, I don't think necessarily means that you have to have a team that's going to win a championship or that you're sure is going to win a championship. Take the Memphis Grizzlies of the previous decade, for example, them grit and grind dudes. Were they ever a legitimate championship contender? Probably not. Were they interesting? Yes. Were they a team that the locals could get invested in? Yes. To me, that's probably pretty satisfactory as a fan in terms of what it is that you can reasonably hope for or reasonably expect. The Miami Heat are always on, are we doing our best to win as many games as you possibly can? And I think as a result, have consistently stayed interesting. And so the Suns, if nothing else, this team is going to be interesting. Now, what we're also going to find out here is just how good Bradley Beal is. Because I don't think we have a clear answer for that. We have an answer for how much Bradley Beal can put up points. But when you go look at the advanced numbers, he don't stand up. And like you think about as highly as we all view him, he's made the All-Star game three times. Now, is it difficult to make the All-Star team as a guard in this league? Yes. But he's made the All-Star team three times. And is it 
I said something many years ago that offended Suns fans, and this is one of those times where Devin Booker didn't make the All-Star team, and it become an annual thing about whining about Devin Booker not making the All-Star team. And what I said at the time was he hadn't demonstrated himself to really be a true game-changing player. Like, he showed himself to be a dude that could put up 60 in a night. But is it a, hey, we we going to win tonight because we got Devin Booker? Up to that point, he hadn't demonstrated that, right? And, of course, all the Suns fans just all furious about it because they made the finals, like, ultimately that year. And then, in the time since then, yes, I think he demonstrated what I said he hadn't. I demonstrated up until that point. But up to that point, he hadn't. Well, we're talking about Beal now. We're 11 years into his career, and I don't think he has demonstrated that. You know, like Brad Beal plus John Wall could not get out of the second round of the playoffs, which is a bit of an indictment of both of them, depending upon how you want to look at the situation. But now, on some nights, he'll be the number three option for this team. On the nights when Kevin Durant doesn't play, which will probably be a lot of those, he becomes the number two option. And maybe that's the place that he needs to be. But what I can't tell about Beal, other than buckets and some secondary playmaking, what's he bringing you? I also look at this team and say, even with Brad Beal, who's running point? Like, are you going to come out here with campaign or one of those cats as the dude that runs points? Because I feel like we've seen this with the Celtics. You do need somebody to kind of sort of be in charge here. You need somebody whose mind operates in that space. And you could say, well, Devin Booker can do that. He can do that. Do you want Devin Booker to do that? Like, is the best use of Devin Booker's energy trying to figure out how to get shots for somebody else? Or is the best use of Devin Booker's energy him trying to figure out how to get shots? And then if he can't get them, get them for somebody else. I'm inclined to believe that it is the latter. That's the direction that they need to go in. But it's an interesting trade. I don't know how much it really changes things in the West. Um, I saw something that was making the point that the Suns are, Vegas has them as the number two chance to win the West behind the Nuggets. But they were number two as a chance to win the West behind the Nuggets before the trade. You know, Chris Paul's out of there. And I think that's important because health, right? You just don't know how many games you're going to get out of Chris Paul. But what I just say about Bradley Beal, you don't know how many games you're getting out of him either. To be fair, how many of those games could he actually have played except for the fact that the Wizards stunk so there was no point in continuing to put him out there? That becomes the question that you have often with teams in that situation. But they are going to be fun. And I don't root for the Phoenix Suns. Therefore, I will take another fun team. That'll be what's up. A fun team. But they definitely did not enact this new CBA to create a situation where the Phoenix Suns' third or fourth best player, and honestly, Beal might be fourth in spite of all the things we have to say about eight. Their third or fourth best player is making $50 million a year. $50 million a year. That's what they got. Also has a no-trade clause. He does have a no-trade clause. There is There is that. By the way, shout out to the Bartlestein family or Bartlestein. I don't know which way you say it. Parker, have you seen that? Where Brad Beal's owner, his son, is the CEO of the Phoenix Suns? Yes, I have. Yeah. (laughs) Now, to be fair, I don't think that had anything to do with how this trade ultimately got done. I think that that's as much a quirk and coincidence as much as anything else. Except, let me tell you something y'all need to understand about this agent game and this executive game. If you want to talk about the incestuous nature of all this stuff here... You go in the mail room at any of these agencies 
and you are going to find lots of children of executives of various sorts, television executives, sports executives, that's the one. Everybody feel like they want to be an agent and all their daddies know how to make a call to get them into that mail room or to be interns or whatever it happens to be. But the agencies always take the kids because, you know, back scratching, real back scratching. I want to throw one thing out there, though, that, um, you know, I told you guys before I come out here and record, I tend to watch a little get up, see what the people got to say about what's going on. And uh, Mike Greenberg was making the point about building through the draft. And he was saying that as much as we could, like, decry the idea of the super team and going out to get these guys or whatever, how many teams recently have won championships through the draft? And I would make the argument just about all of them in the last 10 years. Like the idea of the super team, keep this in mind. And this is something I don't think is discussed. The Heat made those moves to get those guys. And I think that the league itself was in a bit of a transition. And Spo was one of the first people to realize that the move was going to be to spread it out and try to take more three-pointers and figure out exactly what to do with LeBron James. But just about every one of those Warriors teams was better than that super team that the Heat put together with the best version of LeBron James that we've ever seen. The 2013 Heat, probably the best version of the Heat. But all those Kevin Durant Warriors teams, those were better than all of those Heat teams. Parker over here making them faces because it sounds crazy, but when you stop and think about it. Like, think about this, Parker. The Heat didn't have a single season in that run that didn't involve a real heart-stopping series at some point. They didn't have a single one. The Warriors had a year where they lost one playoff game. Yeah, they did have that. I was trying to think. The Warriors had the scare in the first Durant championship year. Uh, yes. or uh But yeah, you're right. Yeah, like that, that, that. that's my only thing there. They had the, well, the Warriors, to be fair, they had the scare in 2016, you know, the down 3-1, and then, of course, they lost to, you know, after being up 3-1. They had the scare against the Rockets, right, where that one went to seven. And I want to say that was in 2018. You know, but you're right. You're right. Like, they, they had, there were a couple of hiccups, but they had that 2017 year. I think that's the one where they just walked, right? Could nobody do nothing about them. The Heat never really had a team that did that in the postseason. I was in there in 2013 when it looked like they was about to lose to the Spurs, right? But you look at the championships after that heat run Spurs in 2014 that's definitely a build through the draft the 2015 Warriors definitely a build through the draft um the 2016 Cavs that one's a little bit different but at the same time they had cap space and signed LeBron James right they had draft picks and they turned it into Kevin Love you know, this was a little bit different. But again, it's adding Kevin Love. I mean, but I think Brad Beal is probably adding bad. Brad Beal is not terribly different than adding Kevin Love um, on that team. I would contend that those, again, the Warriors had cap space, got Kevin Durant, right? But they would have been a championship contender even if they hadn't gotten Kevin Durant, though they needed another score. Those Raptors, I would contend that they were built through the draft. Because if you look at what the Kawhi Leonard trade was, it was DeMar DeRozan, their all-time leading scorer, going out with like Jakob Pertl and I think one other dude, and then they brought in Kawhi Leonard. But the bones of that team were still built through what most of us would consider to be organic measures. Um, the Bucks, we would say that team was built through organic measures. Those Warriors that won in 2022, 
were built through what I would call organic measures. And the Nuggets, obviously, are an example of a team that was built through organic more organic measures. All these various sorts of quick fixes that people try in the NBA, they might work. Like, I'm not saying they're necessarily bad ideas. They can work, but they're not guaranteed to work. This goes for tanking. Who's really made this work through tanking? Who has truly built themselves that championship contender through tanking? Nobody really has. At least not as far as I can tell. Sixers still ain't gotten out of the second round with the way they've done it. You can make the argument that Oklahoma City, which I think is the next comer in the league, you can make the argument they did that through through tanking, but I still don't believe that what they did was tanking in the way that we talk about it with the Sixers. They woke up one day and their two all-NBA players both said they wanted out. And so they made moves to get a bunch of picks. Had two years where they didn't have the players to get it done. And then by year three, we're looking decent. And then next year, man, whoo, get ready. It's coming, you know. But the best way to do this seems to be still organically. I saw them making the point on television this morning about the Nuggets. They're like, yeah, but it still took eight, nine years for them to put it together. Yeah, because the last two years, they had the Porter and Murray issues. Like, we're probably talking about something else a little bit sooner. Um, I've always made the point about the Warriors, like, you know, outside of the Kevin Durant move, but you look at the guys they used to build that 2015 championship. The only guy that was a high lottery pick on that team was Andrew Bogut. Like you can put together teams in much different ways now, um, than you had previously, much better teams than you could with kind of mid tier level draft picks. Those Raptors, including Kawhi Leonard. Nobody on that team was really a guy that went that high up in the draft. With those sons, Chris Paul, yeah, but he was old. DeAndre Ayton, but again, he's DeAndre Ayton. Like, y'all complained about how they took the wrong dude with the number one pick, and that's what almost barely counts. He's the number one pick. Devin Booker was a mid-tier lottery guy. You know, like, there are all kinds of ways. And, of course, the Nuggets. Those are all mid-tier lottery guys. The ones they have, they were actually lottery guys. There are a lot of ways that you can do this. The Suns have decided to do it this way because this dude is willing to spend the money. Bless his heart. Spend that money. But I do find it fun that all these small market teams put in these rules to try to stop people from putting together super teams. And A, somebody went ahead and put together a super team. And B, maybe you should just let them put together super teams because maybe, just maybe, that don't really work. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, guys, listen to me now. Believe me later on. Told you guys, John Morant was going to come with a kooky excuse. He did come with a kooky excuse. And his kooky excuse was that gun wasn't a gun. That gun was actually a lighter. And then TMZ got a hold of the video that John Morant sent to his friends. And I had been told that he had done this, that he had sent a video not just to his friends, but also to the team and other people that he thought were important with a demo of the gun lighter to show that all it really does is light things. And that got out. Okay, way to go, John Morant. It turned out it was not a gun. And I'm going to be honest with you. 
I think having the gun lighter is actually dumber than if you had been using a real live gun. I mean that. I actually find that to be dumber than having the actual gun. And you know why? Because it might as well have been a gun. Here's why I say it might as well have been a gun. Because you wasn't about to shoot nobody. Now, maybe you could make the argument that it's better that it was a lighter than it was a gun because it prevents the possibility of some sort of accidental discharge. Okay, got you. I can see that point. This is all I'm trying to figure out. I just need a lighter to light. That's it. I just need a lighter to light. You imagine you were standing out on the street and you was like about to fire up a black and mild or something and you ain't got no lighter and you see John Morant walking. You're like, hey, John Morant. Hey, I know this is a crazy question, man. Any chance you got a lighter? And the next thing you know, John Morant go to his hip and draw down on you, face that, put that barrel right straight to you, then pull the trigger and fire come out. Right? You out you here walk around with the gun where you hold it out and you shoot it and a flag come out and say, bang. Why? Why? Why do you have this? Right? And I really... I'm not interested in arguing about the length of suspension and da-da-da and everything else. Look, 25 games is a long time, right? And I'd make the point that I think that, I don't know if appropriate is the right word to use in terms of my description of what the punishment was, but I think it's an understandable one, and we don't play like this. Maybe is not a suspension-worthy thing to say, right? Like, maybe it doesn't go there, but how does somebody do it? Like, how does the point get there? And how do you get to, you got to stop embarrassing us? And people being like, oh, man, well, the, the NBA not doing this because he had a gun or anything. It's just because you're making him look bad. Yes, dumbass. That's exactly what we're talking about here. That's the whole point of all of this stuff. Is you out here making us look bad. You bad for business right now. That's the whole point behind what they have. If no matter who you are, you got to ask yourself why you need a gun that look like a lighter. Now, this I'm telling you, because before I didn't tell you this stuff, because, you know, look, I'm not a professional reporter, right? I don't carry enough gravity to be coming out here telling you what did or did not happen if the big boys have not done it, right? So I will often hint to you about something that I have heard because I'm just not, I don't, I don't think it's responsible for me to present myself as a reporter in that way, right? But I do know this, and I can say this definitively. The NBA, when he said it wasn't really a gun, asked him to produce the not really a gun. And he was like, well, it's, it's, it's still down south. And they said, cool, we'll send somebody to get it. And he was like, oh, man, I can't find it. Now, here's what I thought about that. Hey, how can you not find it? Right? You seem to love this lighter. All right. How can you not find it? But number two, my first thought was, if I was going to meet with the NBA and my whole story was it wasn't a gun, it was a lighter, I would bring the lighter to prove that it wasn't a gun. Except you can't take it on a plane. Because it looks like a gun. 
see the problem? Do you see the issue? Like, this was just dumb. This was just dumb. And by the way, I see why his partner's so mad. Y'all blaming this on us. This fool's so stupid, he got a gun, a lighter that looked like a gun. Right? And look, I'm not being dramatic when I say this. I've intimated this before. Okay? But there's something to this. If somebody see you with that gun lighter, you're not going to have time to explain to them. No, no, no. It's cool. Look, look, look. Bang, bang, bang. It's just lighter. Okay? I saw a 12-year-old boy with a toy gun. And the cops, who ride, who rolled on him and smoked him? And that was a toy. And that same thing could have happened to him. Right? And so, as much as we, or as much as I have tried to avoid going too far in discussions about this into like macro gun culture talk, you know, because I think that that has diverted us in large part away from understanding like the John, the John Morant thing. Um, I've seen people make the point, and my buddy Nick makes this point where he says, if Ja Morant had that gun and he was at a gun range, it's not a problem. And he's right. Because you know what they not doing at gun ranges? Playing with guns. Like, everybody agrees with this, including the most ardent Second Amendment, Second Amendment people. Everyone agrees with this. Ain't no playing with guns. And playing with guns can also include playing with a not gun. And that's what he did. And the only person that he endangered truly under those circumstances was himself. Now, I think that a lot of people believe that under those circumstances, the reason you should not be punished is because the only person that you were endangering was yourself. I actually think that that's more important than anything else now, isn't it? Right? What you worried about, what you concerned about, I've said from the very beginning, you can go check everything I've said about this. My number one concern being him. And somebody, somebody got to get him to understand this stuff isn't cool. It's just not. It's not the way to play. It's not the way to joke. There's all kinds of goofy lighters out here. You ain't got to have that one. All like just, just, just all of this stuff is there. And so for his own sake, maybe 25 games will do the job. Maybe he can get himself to where it is. Um, that he needs to be um all of this like i think we still get back to the place of is this dude okay and is this going to lead to the right and necessary and requisite steps they say that they got a program basically in place he got to do x y and z in order to get to where he need to you know to get back into the league and maybe this will be it right maybe this will be the end of it i don't think this is going to be a sort of situation that makes us question what kind of guy he is he'll still be able to go out and do nice things for people and we'll say oh john morant that's a good guy or whatever it is we all just need john morant to stop being stupid it's the same thing going on with zion we just we just need you to stop being stupid that's all they asking for at this point out of all y'all please just stop being stupid I saw Brian Windhorst make the point that like John Morant probably cost himself about $50 million in the course of this. Like that's a whole lot of stupid. And I've said before that I don't think that John cares about the money. So we have to be careful as to how much emphasis we put on the idea that he's probably cost himself that much money. Nah, he's lucky that he's made it this far doing these dumb things. Just stop being stupid. 
That's it. And for the people that are somehow trying to find some way to defend him and all of these other things, stop being stupid yourself. Like all of y'all, because I really think that the stupid that these people are demonstrating is not the issue about Ja Morant. Stop calling this 23-year-old a kid. He's not. He's an adult. He's a grown man. Like all, you stop being stupid. He stopped being stupid, right? Like you're not raging against the machine here. What you're doing is you're enabling somebody who's been acting really, really stupid. And at what point do you just have to be like, hey, man, you got to stop being stupid because the stakes might have been a lot higher for John Morant than any of us know and understand. I still contend there is no way in the world that he was out here running up on people in the city of Memphis, right? Letting people in the city of Memphis know that he got heat or at least toy heat. There's no way that he has done that without there being some measure of consequence, or there's no way he has done that without there being a consequence around the corner that he doesn't realize is there. But you all out here worried about Adam Silver, the nicest commissioner that there is, being mean to him. David Stern would have had that dude not playing next year. He'd be like, Memphis don't make us that much money, no way. He'd have had that dude about to paint so fast, it's ridiculous. I think everybody in a supervisory position has tried their best to be as kind to that young man as they possibly can. And now it's time for him to stop being stupid. The only thing I'm going to say to him on that, I may have brought this point up before, but I'm just throw it on him right now. I want to make sure he hear this. I want to make sure everybody else hear this. And, you know, this game don't get played the same the way that it used to. But when I was a kid, this is how the game was played. And I just want to say this to him right now. Okay, you ready? It is not your dreadlocks fault. Okay. You ain't got to come out here with no fade. Try to show us that you done changed. No, it's a different game. Now we've, we've come a lot farther. You ain't, you ain't, it is not the dreadlocks fault. We all know historically that when cats like him have got in trouble, they always blame it on the locks. They blame it on the hair. You ain't got to go to court. You know what I'm saying? Like if you was going to court, I'd be like, hey, man, it's about time for you to, to to cut that roster, you know, get out here looking like a crooner. That's what I would recommend, you know, but no, nah, don't you ain't got to do that, man. Don't blame it on the dreadlocks It's not it's not it's not your hair. You you are not your hair. It is not the hair's fault. It is your fault. OK, you put in a lot of work on that right there. Show show de- show the same dedication to yourself that you have shown to growing them locks. Don't bail on them. The, stick with them locks the way the Grizzlies are sticking with you. It ain't they fault neither. We know you can't be on top of all the news and information of the day. No need for the social media feeds. We got you. Now, if you haven't heard. All right. This first story is from Tech. Hi, my name is Chloe Xiang, and I'm a reporter for Motherboard, Vice's tech and science section. In a new podcast episode with Lex Friedman, Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg outlined his upcoming plans with AI, including making an AI assistant that can help your social life and make ads for your business. He said that he hopes to deploy a large range of AI models, particularly to meet people's need for companionship. The roles that he mentioned included a mentor, a life coach, and a cheerleader that can help pick you up through life's challenges. Zuckerberg thinks that AI is a form of social technology that can help people express themselves better. Another way he hopes to use AI assistance is to get them to remind you when it's your friend's birthday and update you on their lives. 
Zuckerberg also suggested that through Meta's combined language and image AI models, brands would be able to create commercials directly on Meta's services rather than need an outsourced ad agency. He said you would just have to provide an objective and the AI ad unit on Meta would be able to generate a commercial for the customer. Zuckerberg said that Meta's approach to AI is to be open and academic in its development and hopes to get feedback from a broader community of users. He also criticized concerns surrounding AI's existential risk, saying that there are concrete issues that need to be addressed before talking about hypothetical risks. Nah, we need to talk about the hypothetical risk, dog. I mean, you're right. There's some concrete issues that we need to talk about also. But I don't even know if the hypothetical risks are necessarily hypothetical ones, right? But Parker, you notice this. He still ain't giving up on that metaverse. Nah, he's never going to give up on that metaverse. He absolutely is in love with that idea. I like the idea that, yeah, this is about being like open environment and everything. But also, we're going to make your ads for you. So this just sounds like a great business model for us. (laughs) He is... (laughs) I was talking to somebody about this yesterday. The thing that's interesting to me about Zuckerberg versus those other, you know, people up top in tech, he's like the least impressive of all of them, but kind of built the biggest monster. I guess Bezos' monster might be a bit bigger, but there's nothing like Elon Musk for all the criticisms I have of Elon Musk. And as much as I think that he's ridiculous on about 15 different levels, I do think he's a visionary. Right. Like at the very least, he sees himself as his ideas are big. His ideas are grand and they captivate people. Zuckerberg doesn't do that. You know, like he comes up with stuff and it's like, oh, I think that's a good idea. Like he the only one of them, these guys that I can think of. And I'm sure you people who are better versed in this could say more. But like once he got in charge, they're like, yo, we need to get a team to prop him up. All of them, man. I guess part of it is because he was so young when it all got going. But you notice that about him. It felt like any time he'd been left out there with his own idea, it's like, I don't know about this, dog. Like, all right, good job buying Instagram. Yeah, like, that worked out. Okay, you've done a couple of them. But, man, him and his damn metaverse. And I just don't know. I am appreciating all the companies. Like, Google seems to be one of them. That when you ask them about, yo, couldn't this AI ruin all our lives? They're like, yeah, maybe. I mean, they still going to do it. But at least they're not acting like we crazy for asking questions like this dude is. All right. This next story is from The Environment. Hi, this is Jake Swermgen, and I am a deputy editor at Insider. Last week, massive wildfires raging in Canada disrupted travel for millions of Americans along the East Coast. Thick smoke from over 450 wildfires poured across the border, smothering cities from New York to North Carolina in smoky haze and reducing visibility to just miles. On Wednesday, June 7th, the smoke was so thick that FAA grounded all flights into New York's LaGuardia and New York Liberty airports and Philadelphia International Airport, stranding travelers for hours. The smoky air triggered health alerts, with officials warning those with respiratory issues to stay inside. By Thursday, June 8th, the fires intensified and the smoke descended further south. Again, the FAA stopped flights into LaGuardia and Philadelphia, sending ripple effects through airports across the region. Flights were delayed and canceled from Washington, D.C. to Charlotte, North Carolina. Smoke cleared by the weekend, but travelers aren't in the clear just yet. Canada's wildfire season is just getting underway, with temperatures and fire risks expected to keep climbing in July and August. Hey, man, it was a different kind of day here um, when we had the, the smoke situation go down. 
And it was wild because I live uptown and it like it was smoky out there, but it was like smoky, like something in the neighborhood was on fire. Like that had happened a couple of days before. I saw them pictures of the Brooklyn Bridge and it looked like oh, a movie. A sad one, right? It looked like one of the movies where wasn't nothing left on the streets but robots when that was going down. And what was interesting about that was they said part of why it wound up the way it did here was like there was basically we needed a weather system to come in to get some wind to blow this stuff out. Right. But the the air was just staying there. It was just kind of suspended. And it was a damn shame, too, because it would have been a gorgeous day, except it was a heavy chance of a smoke. It just feels like we're doomed every now and then, guys. Like that, that was the biggest thing about this, I think, was really more than anything how it looked. And it just looked like doom. It just looked like full on doom. So hopefully they'll be able to figure out something to do up there in Canada with them fires. Uh I don't know. Maybe this stuff used to happen all the time and we just didn't have as much news to really like keep us up on what's happening. But it feel like. So I used to own a Toyota Camry, a 1996 Toyota Camry. And, you know, they got them Toyota commercials. They used to have a Toyota commercial. Parker would remember that where them people would have them ridiculous mileage totals. And then they jump up in the air to celebrate. They Toyota They even had somebody whose Toyota had one million miles and they showed them jump up and celebrate that and they write that toyota engine will run forever okay forever but them toyota door handles that's a different proposition i had broke so many of them door handles on that thing at one point i had to get into my car from the back seat because them door handles just kept breaking off in my hand and I ain't really have no money to go get no new door handle. It just kept happening. All I'm saying is I'm looking around at our world and the door handles just seem to keep breaking. Everywhere we look, it just seems like it ain't the end of the world. But damn, it's a hassle. Except it kind of is the end of the world, too. Yeah. All right. And this last story is from Paul. I'm Rachel Weiner, and I'm a legal affairs reporter for The Washington Post. President Trump faces 37 federal charges. Here's what that actually means. For holding on to 31 different documents, he's charged with 31 counts of illegally retaining national defense information under the Espionage Act. Technically, national defense information doesn't have to be classified, but it almost always is. In Trump's case, according to the indictment, only one document that he had was not marked secret or top secret, and that document concerned U.S. military contingency planning. To convict him, prosecutors have to prove that Trump held on to the documents willfully and had reason to believe they could be used to the injury of the United States or to the advantage of a foreign nation. Mishandling classified information in the government happens fairly often, and charges are generally only brought if there's an aggravating factor indicating it wasn't an accident. In Trump's case, he was asked by both the National Archives and the Justice Department to return the documents before he was charged, and according to the indictment, he made repeated statements indicating he knew he should not have them. But instead of handing them over, prosecutors say he had an aide hide the documents and try to get his attorneys to lie or help destroy the evidence that he ever had them. The other six charges are all for that alleged obstructive conduct. He's accused of conspiracy to obstruct justice, tampering with grand jury evidence, concealing evidence from federal investigators, and scheming to make false statements because his aide is accused of lying to the FBI on his behalf. 
Three of those crimes carry penalties of up to 20 years in prison, and each illegally retained document can be punished by up to 10 years in prison. So technically, Trump could be put in prison for hundreds of years if he's convicted. But in practice, federal defendants almost never receive the maximum possible punishment. The highest sentence for illegal retention of NDI, which involves 50 terabytes of data, hundreds of thousands of pages of documents, was nine years. Look, man. I ain't getting into the politics and none of this and da da da. I know how y'all are. You know, we all, you know. Anyway, I will say this. It appears that man just kept that stuff because he could to occasionally show it to people because he had it. Like, oh, I got something cool. Want to see it? Like that, that, that seemed to be the whole point of him having it. And then they say, what? It went like stuff just like in bathrooms, right? Like he's had like, who wants that? Is, is he a hoarder? And we just did not know it. Like that's, that's the whole thing that gets me is it's just like, why in the world would you want to do this? I just can't figure it out. Like I remember I worked at a radio station once. And the station had been sold to its competitor. Okay. Now, granted, the people I work for obviously were not the people who bought it. And the people who bought it decided not to keep me around. Okay. So I was in the building basically the last day the building was open. Um, I did not steal everything that wasn't locked down. But I did take everything that I could. Okay. If you have ever watched me do this show um, with video and you see the Edron James bobblehead up there, it didn't belong to anybody. So I was able to take it. Right. They had a bunch of promotional t shirts for a station that didn't exist anymore. I took those. It was all on GP. I wasn't trying to take no documents. What I want that for? Now, granted, they'd have come and took my black ass to jail a lot sooner. Then they went and got this dude. But I'm just like, what? Just just to have? All right, buddy, whatever you say. Whatever you say. Voicemails are brought to you by YouTube TV. Try it free today at YouTube.com slash NBA23. New users only. Terms apply. Cancel anytime. Hey, this is Bomani. You have reached the right time voicemail. Say whatever you want. Get creative with it. But this is your place to talk back to the show. So talk back. Peace. The voicemail topic for today is in honor of Father's Day. Tell us about the time that you tried your dad. Yeah, we ain't done this in a while. So we gave some of y'all an opportunity to get in. Because I know a lot of y'all been waiting for your chance. All right. This first one's from PG County. My Bo, what's going on? This is Big Temple, PG County, man. No. Every year you do the father, the Father's Day prompt, and every year I say I'm, I'm gonna call that this is Father's Day. So I much like yourself was always the smart kid in 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 school. The only difference was I was a smart kid with ADHD, and typically what that means is is that you are going to get in trouble because you're much like a puppy, like you just find ways to entertain yourself instead of doing your work. So 
I'm about 15, and <laughs> my parents are sick of my So <laughs> one time, teacher called home, hey, your kid in here messing up. He doing this at the third, flirting with girls, talking to people, doing everything but his work, right? So my father, like, man, I'm so sick of you. And I'm just like, dog, I ain't do it. So he like, so what, I'm not supposed to believe the teacher? And then I used the age-old line of, nah, man, she just be picking on me. The teacher don't like me. And he ain't want to hear none of that. So let me set the stage for you. I call myself victim for a reason. I'm 15 years old at this point. I'm 245 pounds and about six foot one. My father is about 5'10", 260. This is a heavyweight bout, and we get some rumbling in that zone. Man, <laughs> don't you know you like, oh, no, nah, I'm bigger than him or whatever. I think, you know what I mean, I can do that down the third. Nah, bruh, that old man strength kicked in. Next thing I know, <laughs> he got his knee on my chest. I'm on the ground, and I am trying to ball up because them fists are coming. <laughs> man, we put so many holes in the wall. <laughs> my mom was pissed, and it made us pass them up together, bruh. <laughs> To this day, I still don't mess with him, man. I am what? I went to college as an offensive lineman, 340, six foot two. They were not messing with my pop, man. He got it. <laughs> All right, bro, me, <laughs> He said he thought he had a chance, huh? <laughs> the, I had to curl up into a ball. That's, that is the ultimate mark of surrender. Just like, yo, make yourself small. Make yourself small. Squeeze through the hole. Make yourself small. Make yourself small. This next one didn't leave a name, but here it is. What up, Bo? What up, Parker? Um, this is my time that I thought I was going to uh, try to see my dad. So growing up in Texas, um, I was a junior in high school, you know, smelling myself. You know, I'm on the basketball team, doing my thing, you know, always working out. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling good. So I walk into the living room, and I'm talking to my pops. I was like, yeah, man, you know, I, I, I think I could take you, Dad. You know, my, my dad uh, was uh, in the Air Force. So, you know, they, they always have to do some PT or, or some type of physical training. So my dad was like, well, if, if, he, if you think you're big, son, come on and jump. So I'm about 5'10", almost 5'11". Uh, my dad's about 5'8", some change. So I try to go up to my dad. I don't know what I was thinking. I tried to grab him over the top of his shoulder. Um, my dad used to play uh, football for Booker T. Washington back in Tulsa, Oklahoma, back in the day when he was in school. All I remember is that my legs ended up going over the top of my head. I was pinned on the ground. My dad said, I told you, don't try me ever again. My mom walked into the living room, started cussing us out. But, uh, yeah, that's the time I uh, tried my dad. Long-time listener of the show, Bo. I always appreciate what you do. Terrell White from uh, Hampton, Virginia. Take care. Hey, man, I'm glad you threw it at the end, that in Tulsa, because I thought you were trying to say your dad played for Booker T. Washington. I'm like, damn, what y'all do, keep him on ice? Four hundred years till it was time. Damn. Well, yeah, you said you wanted to put your leg on top of your head. This, this is what everybody understands now, but y'all didn't understand at the moment. That man is not going to let you win. As I've said many times, all you guys who call in these stories about t- trying your pops and losing, y'all all love your pops. The only people who tell these stories where they come out the winners is because they daddies wasn't really worth loving. Like you think about this, anytime somebody only I've only had one person who is a friend of this program who tells a story about winning a fight with his pops. It's he still loves his pops, but his pops was wrong. 
Like his pops was out of line, but he had, he said he bigger than his pops. He had to grab his pops. I think it was either by the shoulders or the throat and put him down and say, what is wrong with you right now? Like if you have to take that tone with your pops, you're probably going to win, right? Whoever the person is that has the righteous place in the argument in a, in a pops fight, it's probably going to be the one to win. Oh, that's a hilarious lead into this last one. What up, Bo? Uh, long time listener. I'm um, going to try to keep this short. Um, my pops and I have always had a bit of a contentious oh. relationship, but no more than usual. So, you know, when I got my dad and I used to wrestle all the time, he just picked me up, throw me on the ground all the time when I was younger. Just the thing we did. When I got 18, I started lifting weights heavy, got stronger. So one, this one time, pops tries to grab me. I was able to yoke him up instead and throw him on the ground. Yeah, we was playing, but my pops had a look in his eye. Wasn't fear, wasn't anger, it was just, processing so you know i was going through that rebellious stage and so you know my pops had said something to me i didn't like and I, I i shot back at him whatever old man what you gonna do i put you on the ground already i'll do it again and so i stepped into my pop's face and the last time last thing you remember was me throwing him on the ground so i knew i was physically stronger than my dad at that point now my dad's a yell he's a country boy he's a preacher Everything is loud and bombastic with my dad, even when we're joking. He got quiet, Bo. He didn't say a word when I said that to him. He just nodded real nonchalantly and just walked away. Now, me and my young, stupid mind thinking, yeah, I scared my pop. So I go back to what I'm doing. I have my back turned to the door. About two minutes later, Bo, I hear, I turn around. My old country dad got a revolver. (laughs) Not a nine, not a Glock, not a, a revolver. Pointed at me with the hammer cock that said, oh, don't ever think you're going to whip me in my house. Needless to say, boy, I learned my lesson. Dad's going to always have the last word. This is Rich. Love the show. Much respect. Hey, man, if he ain't do that, what of y'all was going to have to move? But that's a fair trade. If you ain't got nowhere else to live, you willing to let somebody pull a gun on you? Because that was really it. You, If you do win the fight with your pops and you don't hate them, you got to be humble. You got to be humble, right? Like, you got you to gotta recognize it might be a passing of the torch or whatever. You can brag about it to your friends, but you got to be humble. Like the friend of the program that talked about the time that he yoked up his daddy. He, don't, he didn't brag about it. He was just like, I just hated that it had to come today. You know what I'm saying? But your pops decided right then and there. One of us is going to have to move unless I assert, reassert my dominance. And that was the only thing that he had left. And he's like, he pulled the gun on you because beating you with a bat would have hurt too much. Your dad's still wrong for that. Don't get me wrong. But I understand, like, how we wound up. Parker, you're like, yes, he was wrong. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, no, you absolutely can't do that. However, I understand why he got to that conclusion that that was the next, like, that's the next logical Yeah, I get, I get why it had to be that. You know what I'm saying? It had to. Be humble. Be humble. But ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on The Right Time. We do this three times a week. Parker always handling everything behind the scenes. Thank you, sir. Also, thank you to our If You Haven't Heard contributors. Thanks to Chloe Zhang of Vice. Check out her story on Mark Zuckerberg's plans for AI at Vice.com. Thanks to Jake Swearingen of Insider.com. Check out his story on the Canadian wildfires at Insider. And thanks to Rachel Weiner of the Washington Post. Check out her story on the Trump indictment at WashPost.com. 
Remember, follow the right time. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. We'll talk to you guys in a couple of days. Take it easy. Thanks for checking out The Right Time with Bomani Jones Podcast. You can listen or follow on the ESPN app or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Right Time with Bomani Jones.